Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. We're going to get to the end. We're going to get to the destination. But it might be a little choppy because this message came together in little bits and pieces. But you know what? I loved every interruption. Every mommy, I'm hungry. Every mommy, I'm thirsty. Every mommy, I got to go potty. How many of you know you stop everything you're doing when a three-year-old has to go potty? Yeah, because if you don't, you might be too late, and then it's even more work, okay? And I loved every interruption. I loved the mommy, can you count to 10 while I go hide? And we play hide and seek in the middle of preparing Sunday morning message. Um, because when you've wait, if, if you've ever waited for a promise for 20-something years, you don't mind the interruptions. You don't mind that, you know, it comes together in 10-minute pieces here and there. You don't mind that you have to stop every five minutes, 10 minutes to make a sandwich or make a snack or get a drink of water or change clothes because she got dirty or whatever the case might be or to play a game of hide-and-seek. It was all worth it to me because I've waited over 20 years to be a mom. I mean, let that sink in. Have you ever waited for 20 years for something? <sighs> There's nothing like it. Okay, so I almost went a little too long in the first service, so we're going to condense some things here this morning. Okay, you guys, on board. Everybody buckle in, click your seatbelt, because we're going to go on a ride today. Because like I said, we might go a little all over the place, but we're going to end up in the right destination this morning, okay? All right, let's turn to Romans chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'm going to breathe. So you can follow along with us up on the Sky Bible or turn your pages or turn on your electronic device. Verse 16, it says, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Can we pause just for a moment here? Do you realize we serve the God that brings dead things back to life and makes new things out of nothing? I mean, if we could really grasp that and hold on to that, we would never worry about anything in our lives. Because if he can bring dead things back to life and if he can make new things out of nothing, then he surely he can see my situation and fix whatever's going on. Verse 18, even when there, this is my favorite scripture, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there was no reason to hope, he kept hoping. Does that make sense? Believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. 
Even before the promise came to pass in his life, his life was bringing glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit. Assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Maybe what you're going through in your life this morning is not just about you. You know, so often we're quick to say, well, this only affects me. But no, someone else is watching your story. Someone else is depending on how your story turns out. Somebody else is watching you go through this tough time and seeing how you're going to handle it because they're about to go through something just as difficult. And they need to see that they can hold on to their faith, that they can keep the faith and still bring glory to God even before the promise is fulfilled. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So the title of our message this morning, guys, is called Hopeless. That's encouraging, right? Hopeless, but still hoping. It doesn't make sense to hope for something when there's no reason to hope for it, right? I mean, if we lived in this world and this just outside of Jesus, that would make no sense to the natural mind. Why should I hope to have a baby, Abraham and Sarah, when Abraham's like, I'm 100 years old. Lionel and I, we were only in our 40s. Like, how how are we going to have a family? How are we going to have a child? But it still felt kind of old. Most people get started before their 40s. This day and age, you can go pretty late if you have the finances to do it. But we started our family in our 40s. But God's timing is so perfect. I don't know why we ever fret or worry because he brings dead things back to life and he makes new things out of nothing. So I have a question for you. Think about your family, right? Even your extended family when they come over. We just had Thanksgiving a couple weeks ago. Maybe you have that one family member you, that you can think of that is the one-upper. Like every time you tell a story, they got to one-up your story right? You might have more than one of them. Maybe it's one of your friends in your circle of friends. It's like you tell a story and then they got to do one better. Like they can't let you have the moment. They've got to come up with something better to either impress or horrify everyone at the table. And it it seems like it's worse with the bad stories for whatever reason. You know, it's like I'm telling the family, it's like, yeah, I was in a car accident last week. I spun out one time on the freeway, broke my leg. He's like, oh, you think that's bad? I was in a car accident two weeks ago. We had spun around three times, and I broke both of my legs. You know, it's like there's always something to top it. The one-upper, the topper. I got to top your story. I feel like it happens a lot with pregnancy, like because everybody has, every woman has their labor story. And usually it's like they got to one-up the other one. Oh, you were in labor for 12 hours? Well, I was in labor for 24 hours, you know, or... The epidural, you got an epidural? Well, mine didn't work. I couldn't get it, so I was in pain the whole time. Like, it's just, we got to one-up. I got to do one better, especially when it's something bad, like, you know, that was painful. But this was even more painful. Feel sorry for me. You know, the one-upper. But whatever you do, no matter what your story is, there is the ultimate person, the person with the ultimate one-upper story. Like, you don't ever want to invite this person over for dinner because your story is never going to top theirs. And that's our Uncle Job. Anybody read the book of Job in the Bible? Anybody familiar with who Job is in the Bible? If you don't, you're going to find out a little more today. 
but don't invite Uncle Job because you can never top his horror story, okay? No matter how bad your story is, his is going to be worse, all right? So let's keep Uncle Job away at the holidays. Anyways, let's go to turn to Job chapter 1, and we're going to read about what we're talking about with Job. We'll start at verse 1 so you get all the fun details here. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. It might be Uz, pronounced Uz, but I thought Uz sounded better than Uz, you know. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. See, these details are important, okay? Listen to the the statistics. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. I know we don't count our money the same way as they did back then, but let me tell you, Job was rich. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. This is the NLT version of the Bible, by the way, that we're reading. Verse 4, Job's son would take t- sons would take turns preparing feasts in their home, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. That was nice of them to invite the sisters. Um, when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for them each day, for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Job was a man of God. He was not only looking out for himself, he was looking out for his children. He was a good man. In verse 6, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. I don't know who invited Satan to the party, but I don't think he was supposed to be there. Verse 7, where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan as if the Lord didn't already know. But Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And how many of you know he's still patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on? Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. What? Why is God bringing up Job to Satan? Like, really? You're about to set Job up? You just said he was like the finest man on the earth. That's what he says. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Really, God? Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan seemed pretty confident of that. Like, Job only serves you because of what you do for him. But God was pretty confident, too. All right, you attest him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. You see how God just did Job? Just set him up. Doesn't that seem mean? Like, God, I've been serving you. Basically, I am the best person on earth right now. I am Job. I bring honor to you. I bring glory to you. I'm doing everything right. And you're going to set me up like that with Satan? You're going to take that wall of protection away? What's going on? So verse 13, we're going to read on, you guys. Hang in there. We're going to get through this. One day, Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house. A messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabians, Sabians raided us. They told us, or they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. 
But wait, there's more. While he was speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burnt all, up all your sheep and all your shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Two bombs landing at the same time for Job. But wait, there's more. Verse 17, while he was speaking, uh, while he was speaking, all of this is while he was speaking, instantaneously all these things are happening all at once. A third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. In one foul swoop, Job has been told that he's lost all of his possessions, basically, and every bit of money that was in the bank. It's like he lost his job. He lost his every, all the money that was in the bank, all his retirement. Everything that he owns is gone in one moment of time. See, he's the ultimate one-upper. Nobody in here has that story. We might have lost a job. We might have lost an investment. We might have, but to lose absolutely everything we own and any source of livelihood to come. While he was still speaking, we're not done yet, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And here we go. We're about to see Job's Britney Spears moment. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to grieve. Let me say that again. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to curse God. Oh, he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Poor Uncle Job. Nobody can top it. There's no topping this story in one moment of time. Like not even throughout the day he got these different messages. Not throughout the week or the month. In one moment, he lost everything. But God was confident about his servant Job. That he wasn't going to fall to the ground and curse God and just grieve. But he was fall to the ground and worship. God was right about Job. But still, why would God be so harsh? Why would he allow this to happen to the blameless man, the man of complete integrity? I realize I, I started this off, you know, no one can top Job's story, but has anybody ever felt a little like Job or been in his place? Like, God, <laughs> I did everything the way I was supposed to. I did everything right, and yet you still allowed this to happen in my life. You still allowed me to get sick. You still allowed my loved one to die. You still allowed me to lose that job or lose that home. But I was doing everything right. I was serving you. I was serving in the church. I gave my life to you. Why would you take away that wall of protection? Why would God allow that to happen? 
How many times have you been stuck either in your own situation or trying to help someone else who's in that impossible, hopeless situation? Why would God let this happen? And there never seems to be the adequate words in that moment. But God is not a cruel God. And the one thing that we have to always remember is that God is a good father. His intentions towards us, no matter how the circumstances look, no matter how we feel, his intentions towards us are always good. And we cannot waver in that fact that God is good and that he has a good plan for my life. There were moments, I'll be honest, in my life that I feel like I can relate to Job on a little bit of his level. Not like him, but a little bit. I got married at 19 years old to a man fresh out of Bible college, and we had every intention to go into ministry and make a change, make a difference in young people's lives. We were youth pastors, helped starting a church. I was the worship leader, and we were ready to do this. We saved ourselves for marriage. We both waited. He had been to Bible school. I was ready for ministry. We did everything right in our eyes. And yet, after years of living, I just got distracted. I'm sorry, Ruben, that dog on your shirt, I thought it was a real dog sitting on your lap. Okay, anyways, all right, we're going to move on. <laughs> we're going to move on. But there was a moment in my life when everything came crashing down. As a young person, God had promised me, I know I've told this a million times, I'm going to tell it a million times more. God had promised me three things, that if I would live for him, and give my life over to him completely. He promised me the three M's, marriage, motherhood, and ministry. And here I was at 20 years old, already had the marriage and the ministry. And when I was about 20, about eight years later, we tried, we, we hadn't had kids. We didn't know what was going on for sure. I had some issues, but we went to the doctor. They said, okay, let's try some fertility treatments. We go through the first round of fertility treatments. Doesn't help no pregnancy. We went through the second round of fertility treatments where they increased the amount of fertility drugs they're giving you. And other than me going crazy, nothing changed. I didn't really go crazy, but you know, the hormones make you a little crazy. Anyways, then that didn't work. So we tried the third round. And the third round is where you start giving yourself injections of these hormones and things to try to get your body ovulating and things like that. And just as we were about to begin with that round of fertility treatments at 29 years old, I found out that my husband had had an affair and that she was pregnant. And so it was a pretty devastating moment. I thought, God, I did everything right. I did it the way I was supposed to. I waited. Um, I was a virgin when I got married. I married a man of God who was a preacher and a minister and loved God. And still, we, we came, we gave up everything. We moved from the city we were familiar with to move to another city to help start a church. We had grown a youth group to about 125 kids. And it was like, we were doing everything we were supposed to do. Or at least, I thought I was doing everything right. And then, my world came shattering down. I had the, the marriage, the ministry, and I was close to the motherhood. I knew it was coming. And then the marriage was gone, and eventually... The ministry part fell to the wayside, and the idea of motherhood was far in the distance now. The world came crashing down, kind of like how I relate to Job. 
But I'm so glad that Job's story didn't end after chapter one. Just like my story didn't end after April of 2004. It kept going. Do you know there's 42 chapters in the book of Job? We read all of chapter one. There were still 42 or 41 more chapters after that to go. And I want to take us there. I want to take us to the end of Job, chapter 42. So just to, to show you what happened in the end. And we're going to start, I was going to start at verse 7. We're going to skip down to verse 10. In verse 10, it says, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. When all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because of the trials the Lord had brought against him, and each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep. Remember the statistics from the first chapter? He only had 7,000. Now he's got 14,000. 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, twice as much. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named the first daughter Jemima, the second Kaziah, and the third Karen Hapuch, whatever. Those were interesting names. Um, in all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with the brothers. Okay, girls, we've stepped up to being just invited to the party to now being in the will, okay? Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. Okay, everything worked out for Uncle Job, you guys. And not only did they just work out, he was blessed twice as much. I can remember on, the, on my wedding day when I stood before Lionel. This was my second marriage, okay? And when I stood there that day, I remembered thinking, if it took all those years between the first husband and the second husband to get to this moment, all the years of hell, let's just be real, to get to this moment right here, it was all worth it. I would go through it all over again to have this moment right here. And I, I just think about Job, and he's like, if it took all those 41 chapters to get to this moment right here, I would go through it all over again. And that is why we need to keep hoping, even when the situation looks hopeless, Psalms chapter 27, verse 13, it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Listen, sometimes as Christians, we over-spiritualize a whole bunch of stuff. I know one day I'll be in heaven, and then I'll be in paradise, and then I can experience all the good things. Listen, I got to a point during some of my single years where it was like in between the marriages where it was like, if this is how life is going to be, I'm not sure I want to keep on living it. I was promised a marriage. I was promised motherhood. I was promised ministry, and I'm not living in any of it right now, God. And if this is how it's, and it went on year after year after year. How could you do me so harshly, God? Did you go uh, talk to Satan about me too, just like you did Job? Did you throw me under the bus too? Because I did things right. I gave up everything to serve you. So what's the deal? 
Like you dangled the carrot in front of my face and then you took it away. There were moments I wanted to curse God and die. But we don't live by our feelings, guys. Because there was something else going on deep within me that just knew this is not the end of my story. And I am determined that if I'm going to walk this life out, even if I'm going to be single forever, even if I never become a mother, even if I'm never in ministry again, I am going to be happy. It's our decision. It's our choice. Happiness, true joy comes as a result of trusting God. And I'm going to be like Abraham, and I'm going to let my faith grow as I continue to wait on the promise. In about two weeks, Lynell and I will be signing papers to initiate the finalization of the adoption. And it should be finalized where we actually go and sit in front of the judge, and he signs off on it in January sometime. So... She came to live with us in April, and by January, it'll be final. That's about 10 months. And it only took God about 10 verses at the end of Job to bring the promise to fulfillment. Just like it's only taken about 10 months out of all the 20-something years that I've waited for it to be finalized. We, we agonize over the years for these things that we're waiting for when God is like, listen, I sent Jesus to come and to die that you could have and enjoy your life. And you're so hung up on the one thing that you don't have that you're missing out on all the amazing other things in your life. So I didn't have a child, but I had some nieces and nephew that I love as if they were my own kids. And I determined that I was going to be the best auntie in the world to them. I was going to spend as much time as I could with them because I'm going to enjoy some children in my life. You know, and then eventually I met Lionel and we got married and we about three years ago um, started the process uh, to become foster parents so that we could adopt a child through the foster care system. And it only took, you know, three, four years for us to finish the process and be matched up with Imani. But God's timing is perfect. I want to share so many more details with you guys, but we're, we're, we're coming to an end here this morning with my time with you. You can come on up if you would. Listen, I don't care what the situation looks like in your life. It wasn't like as bad as Job's. And I don't care what the situation is. I do care what the situation is in your life. And God cares what we're going through. But what he ultimately cares about is our faith. Without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to believe God. But did you know that hope is the foundation for faith? We can't have faith without first having hope. We gotta have hope. We gotta know that, you know what, somewhere deep inside, I'm holding on to something that says, this is not the end for me. This is not how my story is gonna end. I will make sure that God gets the glory out of my life. And you know what, God is not glorified when we walk around depressed and in despair and we walk around desperate uh, for something to change in our lives, unhappy, unfulfilled. Listen, just like we sang this morning, it's in his presence that we find everything that we need. It's in his presence that we're satisfied. You know, there were longings in my heart that nothing could satisfy except when I would get down on my knees and go deeper into the presence of God, and then I would walk out of there. Every empty spot was filled 
because he can fill every longing in your heart. It's not always about the promise, but the promise giver. He is the one that satisfies. Me being a mom is not what satisfies me. Me being a wife is not what satisfies me. Me being up here and preaching the gospel is not what satisfies me. My relationship with him, my time spent in his presence is what truly satisfies. But don't give up hope. The hope that God gives will not lead us to disappointment. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It may feel like you've been disappointed right now. Dig a little deeper. There's hope inside of you. If Jesus, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is hope. And that hope lives on the inside of you. So no matter how desperate things look, how dark it is outside, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Besides, he brings the dead back to life. And he makes new things out of nothing. He makes new things out of nothing. And just like Job, he makes it better than it was before. Better than it was before. My marriage to this man is better than that marriage was before. Being a part of this ministry is better than any ministry that I've experienced in my life before. And if I had to go through all that pain and all that heartache to be in living in this moment of being a mom to the most amazing little girl ever, I would gladly go through it all again twice as much to have this moment. So I'm telling you, don't give up your hope so easily. You serve a God who brings the dead back to life. Whatever dream you've let die in your heart because the circumstances didn't work out the first time, you better bring it back up, baby. You better stir up that hope on the inside of you and remember to dream again. Maybe your dream is to be a mom. I didn't know. <laughs> Years ago, Raquel told me uh, we were in our 30s, and she said, what if it doesn't happen till you're 40? And I was so mad at you that day. I was so mad at her. Like, how dare you tell me I have to wait till I'm 40? I've waited this many years already. And she was so confident about it. She was just like, yeah, what do you have to wait till? I waited till I was 43, okay? But I would have been 40 when she, I was 40 years old when she was born. And I was 40 years old when we started praying for a little girl that we didn't know. <laughs> and we prayed. And let me tell you guys, they told us over and over again. Now listen, they warned us. Sometimes it's hard for kids that come out of foster care to really attach and bond with you. The second time we met her, she was calling us mommy and daddy already. <laughs> then um, they say, you know, that usually there's behavioral issues with kids that are coming in out of foster care. They might act out. There might, there's all kinds of things. We won't go into all the horrific details. And we kept waiting for those moments. Like we were prepared. We were prayed up. Guys, we had been praying for three years for a little girl that we did not know. They warned us all the different things that, that they could be developmentally delayed because they were neglected as babies, you know, all the different things, all the different things. But none of those things were happening as the transition was going on. It was like, and one day we took her back um, 
Because we, we would visit with her a few times, and then we got to keep her for a weekend, and then, you know, we made the transition gradual, so it wasn't like this big, abrupt thing for her. And one night, we were dropping her off after a day spent with her at her former foster mom's house, and Lynelle and I were just sitting in the car, and I just start crying, because I was just like, why is this going so smoothly? And I literally heard the Lord giggle. Have you ever heard the Lord giggle? I don't know where Donald is, but he like giggled under his breath when I said that uh, last service. And it literally sounded like that voice that I heard that day. It was just this deep little giggle under his breath. And God was like, I heard him say, what did you expect? I heard all your prayers for the last three years and I answered every one of them. There was concern about speech delay. She doesn't have any speech delays. There was concern about the heart condition that she has, and there's no concern. She runs around like a normal little kid. All these things that they told us to be concerned about, God was like, you prayed. So I answered your prayer. Why do we act so surprised when God answers our prayers? He brings the dead back to life and makes new things out of nothing. Why can't we just believe like Abraham? And why can't we be happy while we're waiting? Why can't we be full of joy while we're waiting? Why can't we be hopeful even when the situation looks hopeless? Do you know the God that you serve? Because if you did, you would not be here hopeless this morning. You would be full of hope with the God that, that you serve. He sees all. He knows all. He is in control. And he has heard every single one of your prayers. His hope does not lead to disappointment. Do not be disappointed. Do not be disappointed. Do not leave here disappointed today. Not only did we experience his presence through our worship this morning in such an incredible way, we've been encouraged by the word of God. We've sealed it in our hearts, and from this moment forward, I will not be disappointed. Some of you just need to turn to your neighbor and say, I will not be disappointed. Somebody. It might look hopeless, but I am still hoping. My God can bring the dead back to life and he can make new things out of nothing. He can make sure whatever I had before that I lost, I'm going to be twice as blessed over here. And if you need to be reminded along the way, just come talk to me because I got a story to tell. I didn't go through the hell to never share my story. Every opportunity you get to share your story, you share it. I don't care if everybody's heard it a hundred million times and they don't want to invite you now to dinner because <laughs> Auntie so-and-so is going to tell me the same story about how good God is and how when things looked hopeless, she still kept hoping. And in the end, God blessed her double. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's stand up on our feet. Let's give God some praise this morning. God, we thank you so much that you are a God of hope. You are the living hope. We love you this morning. We're so thankful for your goodness, for your greatness, that you are in control, God. Let our praise be a reflection of our trust that we have in you, God. We will not stop hoping. We will not stop looking expectantly towards the future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Great is our God and greatly to be praised. If you're struggling with disappointment, praise God. If you're struggling with confusion about what's happening in your life, praise God. Because we need to get our eyes off of what is happening to us and get our eyes on the one who brings the dead back to life and makes new things out of nothing. 
Maybe life hasn't been so good all the time for you. God remains good. We don't praise him because things are going good or because we've been good. We praise him because he is good. Amen. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.